Hello, welcome back to Learner from Alignment. I didn't get any compliments on the new music, the new intro music from our last podcast. So I'm offended and I'm going to fire all of you. Um, and then I'll be getting a new crew. Except yeah, I've made repeated suggestions for appropriate <laughs> intro music and you've shot them all down. So this one's on you. <laughs> uh, well, yours are not legal because they have copyright. Yeah, but nobody follows that band anymore, so it's fine. <laughs> Plus, the the internet and all things podcast are a wild west of, it's kind of like, you know, Billy the Kid shooting someone in the back. Like, yeah, it's illegal, but... Uh, yeah, but we literally that, had a podcast that was about licensing. <laughs> I mean, we can't claim ignorance. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, anyway, but this podcast, this one is about... Well, we're getting back to our history series, which I'm sure many of you have been waiting on with bated breath. Um, and yes, all, yeah, whatever. Okay, so 1930s is where um, we left you with the uh, stock market crash, and we're going to pick up there. But I think we're going to pass it off to Tim. I think that's where Tim finished off in the 1920s, was crashing a stock market, which is Tim's forte. Yes. Why did you do it? I love a good crashing stock market. So, all right. So, yes, taking over the the 1930s are one of the things best known for is, of course, the Great Depression, which was triggered by, but not necessarily caused by, the uh, stock market crash in 1929. Um, So, fun facts for you. In between 1929 and 1932, the worldwide gross domestic product fell by an estimated 15%. And I am quoting directly from our favorite fact source, Wikipedia. But in any case, that means that the world produced 15% less stuff in 1932 than it did in, you know, 19, like 28 and 29. Um, to put that in perspective, um, generally, uh, GDP is growing every year. So not only did growth stop, but it it dropped uh, dramatically. Um, and to put it in perspective that, again, drawing from Wikipedia here, we can compare that to the Great Recession when worldwide GDP fell by less than 1%. Uh, so so you can imagine kind of the, the uh, drop in productivity of the Great Recession, and, and you can kind of imagine or if you were alive during that time, you can remember what it was like and then multiply that by, you know, 15 and you get the scale of the of the impact in of the Great Depression. Um, this was, you know, really, really hard times, uh, something that uh, most people alive, we just haven't experienced. Um, Anyways, it lasted for approximately 10 years, ending with, spoilers, World War II. We'll talk about that next time. But, um, yeah, and there's lots of different, like, explanations for why it happened, um, what caused the Great Depression. Um, And, frankly, I'm not very qualified to talk about them a lot, but there are, um, you know, some... 
like basic reasons like insufficient demand from the private sector and monetary supply reduction and things like that. Um, hey, I have a question. Go for it. So you said that the GDP shrunk by worldwide by 15%, right? Yeah. In, My understanding, in, in though, the stretch of those three years. Right. Is that unemployment was significantly higher, like 30% or 40% or something like that, right? So yeah, I if, think so at, at its peak. And, and again, it would have changed from year to year, but um, but yeah, they in the, in the worst stretches, yeah, you had uh, unemployment, yeah, at, at those levels. Okay, so why, if the GDP only shrunk by fifteen percent, did jobs drop by like thirty to forty percent? That's a good question, and I won't pretend like I know the answer. <laughs> but um, I'll just um, think it out loud. I, I think the unemployment number you're citing is U.S. unemployment. Um, so I, I'm not sure what the worldwide unemployment rate would would have been. Um, I also figure that, and again, I, I don't know, but the while GDP and unemployment are surely correlated, you know, lower unemployment would generally result in higher GDP. Um, I don't think they are directly like, like exactly linked. So, you know, for example, someone might, might check the boxes unemployed um, and maybe like, you know, be producing something on the side to kind of make, make some money, make ends meet, then that might factor into GDP. Um, e even though that person is unemployed, right? So unemployed doesn't mean zero producing right um true also you, you might have that oh sorry go for it average u.s unemployment from my brief stint of taking college classes i believe hovers around to seven to twelve percent depending on the year so you take that and then you add that other 15 percent decrease in gdp and that puts you about 30 percent and I don't doubt that there's lots of complex things going on. When we talk about these numbers, you know, it's uh, it's probably easy to um, I, I'm sure that our reduced, you know, understandings and explanations of what's going on don't adequately represent the really complex, um, you know, interplace going on in, in something like a, a global economy. But yeah. Um, I will note that uh, international trade fell by more than 50% uh, during the Great Depression. And um, and I, I'm uh, just putting in a little plug here for international trade. It's a good thing. Um, there's lots of uh, debate and discussion about that. But uh, in, in any case, I, I think when, when trade falls off, that's um, I'm not saying that that caused it, but you know, international trade is um, it adds efficiency to markets and it um, generally generally raises the the um, level of income and and lifestyle for everyone involved. So um, deflation was also a part of of um, the Great Depression, where normally inflation is is, um, you know, the the normal. Uh, process in a in an economy 
there were multiple years in the Great Depression where uh, prices deflated. And um, I'm trying to remember the numbers, but it was like by more than 10%. Um, so anyways, it, it was a rough time. And I, uh, I'll just share a little bit of, of family lore. Um, my, you know, our, our grandpa talks about, you know, receiving uh, aid from government, um, you know, government organizations, blankets and, and, and so forth. Um, there are also, of course, uh, around the world, uh, governments responded with lots of uh, interventions, including job creation programs and so forth. Um, some interventions that uh, originated during this era are still with us, like in America, the Social Security program. Um, and uh, so anyways, um, you guys have any thoughts or comments on, on other things to touch on with the Great Depression? Yeah, I am definitely seeing what you're seeing there, Tim. Uh, it looks like in 1932, um, it deflated by uh, 10.3%. And uh, okay, so yeah, ten percent, and and the numbers are even more dramatic for the stock market, where um, I think from the from the peak in nineteen twenty nine to the the bottom of the trough in nineteen thirty two. Um, again, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think it was in the range of eighty to ninety percent. So if you were if you were buying investments um, in the stock market in you know nineteen twenty nine in the bull market, then uh, you would have lost most of it um, within, you know, two or three years. And it, it took a very long time for the markets to recover. And again, as, as we've seen in our recent economy, the stock market and the economy are not the same thing, but, you know, they certainly do affect each other. So, all right. Yes. All right. So are there political things that you were going to touch on? Tim? OK. Oh, yeah. Politics is is more pleasant. In so maybe and I, should we interlace that with Matt's? Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should go one after the other. I'm not sure how we want to uh, tackle that. Yeah, hit I'll, mine a little bit later. OK. And and when I say that the politics are, are a bit more pleasant in the 1930s, that's, of course, uh, dreadful irony because, you know, well, spoilers. Uh, anyways, but there are some some interesting things. Uh, for example, in 1930, um, Gandhi in uh, Mahatma Gandhi or Mohandas Gandhi in India is starting his Satyagraha movement, um, which is his the nonviolent uh, peaceful protest movement. Um, in, including his march to the sea to make salt, um, a declaration of Indian independence, and so forth, and he's able to um, to bring about quite a bit of of change, uh, social unrest, and uh, and broker that power with the British government to kind of basically force the 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 British to sit down with the Indians and start giving more um, power to uh, Indian leaders and Indian nationalists. Um, this eventually culminates in full Indian independence, though we'll save that for another decade. Um, Ireland too, in 1937, votes to become a republic as opposed to staying within the British monarchy. And so we start to see in the in the 1930s what's already been happening in previous decades, but the the age of empire is is coming to an end. Um, 
you'll see that uh, accelerate as we get into World War II and and um, anyways, the effects are still with us, but we still we're we're starting to really see the uh, British Empire, especially and other empires as well, come to an end um, in China. Uh, and and Matt, you can stop me if I'm starting to cut in because I guess this technically is a war. Were you going to talk about the the Chinese uh, Revolution, Matt? Uh, not the revolution. I, I mean, I'll mention it in the context of the Sino-Japanese War and, and some of the other things. But yeah, you go ahead and cover all of that because it's important background for the you know external wars that China ran into at this time as well. Oh, okay, cool. So, so it is a, a very long conflict between Chiang Kai-shek, the so the Chinese nationalists who were in power, and the communists um, who were who were vying for power. And the 1930s, uh, one of the if you learn uh, in Chinese history is something called the Long March. Uh, this was the the nationalists were on the offensive. The Chinese communists were. Um, were getting knocked back um and there was this big long march or series of marches uh going west and north retreating from the nationalists it was during this time that mao zedong um kind of rose in leadership and and came to power and um so the long march is kind of um memorialized in in china kind of like uh for you americans out there you could think of valley forge um you know the revolutionary army suffering in in the cold and and fighting through hardship to you know to eventually succeed um that's uh that's the story of the long march for the chinese communists they um um eventually so it's it's two years 1934 through 1936, they're retreating from the Chinese nationalists, and and of course they eventually recover and are able to um, take back all of main or take all of mainland China. Um, around that same time, the Hoover Dam was being completed. It was being built from 1931 to 1936. Uh, one of the many examples of government employment programs, uh, basically the government saying, we need to give people jobs. Uh, let's find some stuff for them to do. How about we build some dams? And so, you know, they built a, a bunch of dams, including the Hoover Dam. Um, uh, let's see. Um, uh, Amelia Earhart, uh, her was she went missing in 1937, and um, sorry, I'm kind of going out of order here. Uh, 1933, prohibition ends in the United States, so that was the end of an era. Um, and of course, one little uh, proud to be from Arizona fact for you: Pluto was discovered in 1930 um, in. Arizona and Flagstaff. my material, Tim. Oh, sorry. Oh, is that that's right? That's right. I, sorry, I get myself mixed up. <clears throat> but I'm taking it because Arizona. Yes, it's a cool place. Well, it's also and not cool. a real planet, so take that. Whatever. You're just jealous because it's the newest and coolest planet. <laughs> it's arguably the least cool, or I guess it would uh, be the coolest. But uh, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and yield on politics to Matt because a whole lot of the politics that is happening will lead us directly into, you know, World War II. So, 
um, Matt, feel free to let me know if you want me to chime in on anything as when you're covering that. Yeah, we'll do. All right, Matt, did you want to go next or did you want me to go over Cameron? Shoot up to you. Um, uh, we can, we can do whatever you want here. Well, I'll save yours for last. And if that's okay, I'm going to okay. just uh, do mine briefly here. Um, so I'm doing science and technology. So as uh, the Great Depression starts, doesn't necessarily affect uh, the rate at which we are moving technology forward as a uh, in humanity. But there's a bunch of interesting things. I'm just going to touch on a couple here. Um, so frozen foods were starting to come to the masses. So that was in the 1930. The first fr frozen foods were being sold in the United States. Uh, Nestle um, w produced white chocolate candy, so that's a big deal. Uh, radar was invented, which obviously became very important in the upcoming war. Uh, the, and then the, in 1933, scotch tape started uh, being sold by a company called 3M, which you might be familiar with. Um, nuclear fission discovered in 1939 by Otto Hahn... Lisa Meitner and Fritz Strassmann. And I'm so, sorry, did you say uh, nuclear or nuclear fusion? Yeah, well, both. Turns out they discovered both. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to leave that there. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, they were German, so they could have pronounced it however they wanted. First in um, intercontinental. No, they commercial. can't. They can. They being German, they would have specifically pronounced it correctly. Uh, would they have? Do you oh, know yes. Fritz? Fritz and I are good friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, first intercontinental commercial flights starting in the 1930s. So that's obviously a big deal uh, as far as um, mobility of. Uh, humanity and being able to immigrate and things like that, uh, especially cutting down on time, which is going to be important once again for uh, the World War. Uh, the chocolate chip cookie was developed in 1938. That may be kind of cribbing a little bit from Cameron's material, but whatever. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily technology, but that's what they called it. Um, it's yes, strange uh, to it was... think that when my grandparents were born, there was no such thing as a chocolate chip cookie. I know, weird, right? Uh, invented uh -huh. by Ruth um, Graves Wakefield uh, in a little company called Toll House. So you may have heard of them as well. Um, hmm. All right, so then the speed of light was calculated in 1933. Uh, sliced bread became available in American supermarkets in 1930. So that's um, what the saying is, um, best things in sliced bread could only be relevant from 1930 on. Uh, 1933, Albert Einstein comes to the United States and starts teaching at Princeton, or researching at Princeton, probably more than teaching. Uh, 1937, IBM uh, creates a collating machine. It was used in a lot of government programs in the United States, beginning of some computing work there. Uh, there's a photocopier or a Xerox copy made in the 19 in 1938. Uh, that was by Chester F. Carlson. Uh, jet engine was created by uh, uh, well, the Germans, so uh, fitted to a German Heinkel 
179 aircraft, uh, first successful flight in August of 1939, so the jet engine being put into use. Um, also 1939, Albert Einstein advocates to the American government to start funding research to the atomic bomb. So, um, obviously, World War One is already underway here, and Einstein sees this as a potential uh, useful area of research. Um Let's see. Also in 1939, nuclear or nuclear research. Both. He also used both words. It turns out, <laughs> all of those Germans very happy to use nuclear and nuclear interchangeably. Okay, 1939. This is the fictional part of world <laughs> history here that Carl was now covering. As a linguist, I think I'm clearly uh, qualified to. Uh, tell you how particular historical individuals pronounced um, these words. Definitely so, more qualified than the nuclear no. physicists that would have been dealing with this stuff. <laughs> I think we can check by just saying it both way in a German accent. I want you to research nuclear power. Your mic is so garbled that that got completely lost. Which is appropriate because <laughs> well, it was clearly... Darn. 1939, <laughs> September 14th, uh, we started, uh, the, I don't know if this is we, actually, it looks like it may have been Eastern European or even Russian, uh, Igor Sikorsky uh, started mass produ producing um, a helicopter, well, he, not him, his design started being mass produced as a helicopter um, in, in oh. the end of 1939 as well, and then there was the New York's World Fair, which Mike Cameron might... Uh, I don't know if that's something he's going to talk about, but these were uh, world fairs were big deals. Uh, this is the one in New York in 1939. One or two other uh, interesting highlights. Um, FM broadcasting started in 1933. And so if you remember, our, I think we t discussed AM FM differences um, in our uh, podcast from... Uh, oh, the electromagnetic spectrum? Yes, that's the one. Electromagnetic yes, spectrum one. may have touched on AM FM broadcasting. Um, Differences. Uh, so FM broadcasting started in 1933 has to do with modulation of frequency as opposed to amplitude, and thus the difference between AM and FM. But yeah, uh, Edwin H. Armstrong invented FM broadcasting, and it starts in 1933. Um, I think that's pretty much it for me. At least the stuff. I, oh, the electron mic microscope. I guess I could mention that. 1931, the electron microscope was invented um, by Max Knott and Ernst Rus Ruska. Um, and so that was obviously very important in uh, research that was going to go on at the end of that decade, or this decade that we're discussing. All right, Cameron, do you want to discuss a few cultural aspects of the 1930s? Yes, I do. Um, first, in 1936, the bass guitar was invented. I think that's a pretty significant thing. Ooh. Yeah, did not know it was that young, actually. And the imagine, What? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, imagine watching Seinfeld with no bass guitars for the intro music. I know. Um, blows my mind. Um, also, the first electric frying pan and lap steel guitar ever produced was in the 30s. I don't have a specific date for those. Um, fun thing, first color film was invented in 1935 in by Eastman Kodak called Kodachrome. Very important thing. 
I'm surprised Carl did not touch about Howard Hughes setting land speed records, but that's okay. Land speed records were overrated. Simply <laughs> disagree. <laughs> um, I think we should talk about a little literature. Um, the Hobbit was written in 1937 by J.R.R. Token. Let's see. F. F. Scott Fitzgerald, Tender is the Night in 1934. Uh, Faulkner's As I Lie Dying, 1930. Ooh, I think I listened to that one um, here a while ago uh, on an audiobook. It is probably the weirdest book I have. I think it's like a stream of consciousness type book. Maybe Tim knows. Uh, It is so weird. I'm not familiar with As I Lay Dying, but I know Faulkner did weird things, and uh, certainly Stream of Consciousness was, you know, that was a thing around that time especially. So, so yeah, I, I believe you, in other words. Um, Steinbeck is coming to fame, um, obviously writing about the Great Depression, um, such notable books in 37 as Of Mice and Men and 39 Grapes of Wrath. So those are notable, like actual notable literature that we should probably know. Um, then, but also came to rise here in the U.S. and maybe somewhere overbroad as well. Um, hard-boiled crime fiction such as *The Maltese Falcon*, *The Big Ship Sheep*, and *The Postman Always Rings Twice* came out during the '30s. I think they made a movie out of *The Postman Always Rings Twice*. Um, let's see. Uh, I will flip back to art here in just a second. Um, art deco. Um, we, I briefly touched about that in the twenties, how it became extremely popular, um, in the late twenties and, um, was extremely popular throughout all the thirties in North America and Western Europe. Um, I think it is some of the the most beautiful artwork that you'll see. Orson Welles Uh, in 38. What? Just, just trying to place it. Art Deco is that the um, include the Chrysler Building? I feel like those are connected, but I'm not sure. Or yeah. the Empire State Building isn't one of those like Art Deco. The the Chrysler Building and the Empire State Building are both Art Deco architecture. Um, okay. But it's I I have a hard. It's big bold lines um with kind of more of an abstract like people but um like landscape and buildings are more idealized but with like broad bold lines and pictures okay also they came really popular during the 30s and into the late 40s early 30s late 40s propaganda art which has got its own style Let's touch to music really fast. Um, swing started to overtake jazz. Most of us probably don't know the difference. Um, blues music started to come out. I don't think anybody cared about my fashion stuff that I talked about. Ansel Adams. Um, I don't know if any of you guys know Ansel Adams. He's kind of the father of landscape photography. He has really beautiful black and white pictures. Um, he's of almost all the national parks here in the United States. Um, really beautiful pictures. Um, then we'll just touch on a couple. 
um, people that may you may or may not remember that have changed our lives forever. Walt Disney started making films. Hitchcock, a Cecil D. B. Sorry, Cecil B. DeMille. Maybe people remember that. Sounds familiar, he, but I can't place it. He he was all those big like the Ten Commandments, right? And Ben Hur. Uh, yeah, he, he owned um, Metro Goldman, and he was oh, okay. kind of the director of that. But yeah, he owned a huge pet portion of them, if I remember correctly. Um, famous musicians um, during that time, Fred Astaire, Louis Armstrong, Nat Cole King, Bing Crosby, uh, Ella Fitzgerald. Frank Sinatra, I'm just Cole Porter, Ira the Gershman Gershwins, and I think I'm going to call that good for me. Do you guys have any questions? Uh, no, that sounds good. Thanks, Cameron. Uh, yeah, that was quite the list of uh, musical talent in the 1930s. So uh, too bad we don't have. Now we have Justin Bieber. So good decade. Um. Okay, let's move on to Matt. Matt, you're going to take us home on the, uh, I think, the most mm, identifiable aspects of the 1930s. We probably shouldn't end with mine, because mine are always the sad ones. (laughs) Um, Let's start with the disasters, and then we'll go into the wars, um, recognizing that when we talk disasters, we're talking... uh, pseudo natural events in this case and and i'll get into what i mean by that because it turns out that not all of the disasters were natural here but in chronological order uh we'll start in 1931 with the chinese uh floods uh the yangtze i'm gonna get this wrong huai river floods anyway uh, a, a number of major floods in china uh basically rivers flooded a whole bunch of people died during the floods and a whole bunch more died uh afterward due to uh, you know disease famine and and the after effects estimates for these series of floods the the death toll ranges between 422,000 and 4 million uh all of this in 1931 We'd previously talked about some of the Chinese river floods uh, before and and how many millions died there. Chinese river floods are a recurring theme in the early 1900s, and they kill millions of people. Um, And and this is another instance. There's another one coming. In 1935, Florida gets hit by a hurricane, which you wouldn't think would be notable given that Florida eats hurricanes for breakfast. But this one was a Cat 5. It was the most intense hurricane uh, to ever make landfall in the Atlantic Basin to date or that, that we have recorded. Uh, death toll is uh, over 400. Uh, it is the Labor Day hurricane. In 1937, the Hindenburg exploded. The, the German airship, it's, uh, there's a famous image of it. As it, is, as it is docking with a tower, contact is made, some kind of spark starts somewhere in the Hindenburg, which is filled with hydrogen, which is 
a very flammable gas it goes up in in flames in seconds and everybody aboard is killed uh, 36 people uh, after that hydrogen filled airships started to go away uh, and and were either replaced with fixed wing aircraft or or airships filled with you know helium or, or gases that weren't quite so explosive but that really kind of was the end of commercial blimps or zeppelins it's also where we get the oh the humanity quote yes 1938 there is uh oh, i'm sorry 1937 uh still in 1937 there is the new london school explosion uh, on march 18th a natural gas leak in a school causes an explosion where 300 uh, almost 300 students and teachers are killed in in one explosion uh, completely took out that school moving to 1938 uh there's another cat five hurricane um these these just happen but the other one i wanted to hit here and we kind of alluded to it was the dust bowl uh throughout the 1930s there's a series of droughts that just turn much of the south central united states into a giant dust bowl because there's no moisture all the crops fail massive dust storms and uh, you know, it's it's a very difficult time for a, a populace already dealing with uh, the depression. Um, ma major problems for for these farmers, and it is the setting for the novel *The Grapes of Wrath*, written by John Steinbeck, which is a classic of American literature and also, in my correct opinion, one of the most insufferable books ever written. So that's another chunk of fallout from the dust bowl is that it resulted in the grapes of wrath which you may have had to read in high school and which you probably regret <laughs> i'm sorry I am not mistaken, that is I... just just my opinion but it's also correct i uh i if i'm not incorrect i believe that your uncle also the father of one of the uh, co-podcasters here is his favorite book tim yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, good people I, I, very um, wrong about it, important things. <laughs> it, it might be. Um, I'll, I'll have to ask him. Finally, 1938 ends uh, with some more Chinese river floods. You have the Yellow River flood, which, uh, again, the death toll is unknown exactly, but it is towards a million um not not quite over a million potentially as high as eight hundred thousand. uh and this takes us straight into the wars and we'll get back to that but this one was not a natural disaster this was a deliberate uh war-based activity and, and i'll come back to it in a second uh, but that's the disasters of the 1930s uh or rather the semi-natural disasters now the 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 man-made disasters of of man slaying man uh, there were a number of these and, and starting chronologically i'll go through some of them in uh, you you had the american campaigns wrapping up in south america as uh, and and the americans kind of pulled out of there many of the things that we talked about earlier uh culminated in the 30s and and that was that um but you also had 
the in 1932 you had the Colombia and Peruvian war it was a pretty low intensity conflict losses in the hundreds and mostly due to disease rather than bullets um it it there there wasn't much to say about this one the the Peruvians and Colombians uh signed a peace treaty and and ended that war after less than a year of conflict, it, it ran from September 32 to May 33. A little bit more serious down it, in South Matt, America. Matt, am I? Oh, quick question, Matt. Is, yeah. It, am I right if I'm thinking that that's the reason why Bolivia is landlocked now? Was that when they lost? Uh, you are incorrect in thinking that because this was the Colombian Peruvian War, uh, not the Chaco War, which I will talk about now. So continuing on a uh, little bit more seriously, also starting in 1932 in June, you have the Chaco War kicking off between Bolivia and Paraguay. And this one ran until 1935. It was quite a bit more bloody. Uh, tens of thousands of people killed on, on both the Paraguayan and the Bolivian side. Paraguay won against a, a better equipped Bolivia um, but Bolivia was was unable to. They they faced logistics challenges uh, that the Paraguayans were able to. Oh, oh, they didn't have the same. They beat those challenges, I guess. Uh, and they had some some pretty egregious military blunders. Uh, the upshot of it was that there there was a a large chunk of disputed territory in the Amazon. Bolivia and Paraguay both wanted it. At the end of the war, Paraguay got two-thirds of it. Bolivia got one-third of it. It was believed that this area was uh, was going to be pretty rich in oil and resources. Well, it turns out that the one-third that Bolivia got, uh, actually, yeah, it had a lot of gas and oil. And it uh, Bolivia is, I think, no, the number two oil producer next to Venezuela down in South America. However, in the two-thirds that Paraguay found uh, recently, in about 2014, they did discover oil and gas reserves down there. But that was 77 years after the end of the conflict. So Paraguay got some extra territory, or, or two-thirds of this disputed territory. Um, and they technically won that war, but they lost between... 35 and 50,000 people. Bolivia lost between 50 and 80,000 people. Uh, pretty bloody, uh, bloody battle or, or war, rather. Um, in the Arabian Peninsula, you have the Saudi Yemeni War, which ends in a uh, decisive Saudi victory. And, and you have, um, you, you have kind of the, the modern kingdom of Saudi Arabia coming together. Uh, down in Africa in 1935, the you have the second Italian war down there, the second Italo-Ethiopian war. Uh, Ethiopia is a, a, a colony of Italy at the time. Italy charges in and declares war on it. I'm not exactly sure why, uh, but they did. And they consolidate their control, colonial control, over a large chunk of... Uh, of eastern northeastern africa going back to europe in 1936 you have the spanish civil war this is you know largely an internal conflict but it has a lot of outside 
help. Uh, basically, you have the nationalists on one side and, and you have the Republican revolutionaries together. Uh, now, when I say Republican, I mean, that's just a label for a political group. It has no similarity to, I mean, that's that's just what it was. Uh, nationalists on one side and Republicans on the other side. And and on the Republican side, you, you, you typically have your, your left side of the political spectrum. A lot of your anarchists, your communists, uh, that that's the side over there, the revolutionaries. And they are supported by Mexico and by the USSR, the Soviet Union. The nationalists are, on the other hand, are supported by Italy and by Germany, Nazi Germany at the time. And the rest of the world kind of doesn't intervene officially. Um, a, a number of mercenaries go and, and fight on one side or another in this war. Uh, but mostly the, the nations as a whole uh, tend to stay out of it, uh, other than Germany and the USSR, Italy, and Mexico. Uh, notably, Germany is not supposed to really have military forces to contribute to this, but they do. And you have something called the Condor Legion that shows up in Spain with a number of exceptionally well-performing fighter planes with a number of exceptionally well-trained pilots that you're not supposed to be able to find in Germany at the time. And these pilots and their aircraft, uh, they gain a lot of combat experience in the Spanish Civil War, successful combat experience. Eventually, the nationalists under uh, Francisco Franco, uh, they, they win, they, they occupy the capital, Franco declares victory, and Franco rules Spain until uh, 1975. Um, so a, a long while. And, and Spain kind of, that, that's their, their big war for a while they they contribute a little bit to world war ii but they're pretty exhausted at the end of it uh this war is is particularly bloody wretched and miserable um with a number of you, you have two terrors going on at the same time on in areas controlled by the republican revolutionaries you have the red terror where um uh, one, if you're a civilian and you're not friendly to their cause, you're going to be potentially rounded up and executed. Two, if you are clergy, you're definitely going to be rounded up and executed. The The Republican side, the, the left-wing side, had very much a war on on the religion of the state. You know, and at this time, the Spain is, or rather had been, a, a Catholic nation. Um, and so you have uh, a famous images of uh, Republican revolutionaries executing a Christus statue uh, by firing squad, uh, the execution of the Sacred Heart of, of Jesus um, became a very prominent image showing the war on religion by the, the, the left-wing Republican side there. Uh, and, and so you have the Red Terror and, and some number of tens of thousands of people. The estimates are 
wide ranging and fuzzy. Uh, between thirty and seventy thousand civilians are killed uh, by the left wing re Republican revolutionaries here. Um, one thing that you see here is that anytime one side commits a massacre, the other side, in order to teach those guys a lesson, commits another massacre in the area that they control. And so you just have people massacring other people in order to get revenge for the last massacre. Uh, on, on the nationalist side, you have the white terror. So you have terror in two colors. You have the red terror and you have the white terror. And the white terror is, is actually worse in terms of uh, people killed. Um, again, estimates are are all over the place, but you know, up to a hundred plus thousand people. Um, weirdly, uh, the, you know, the previous regime had actually been a Republican government, uh, Republican in this in only in the label of it was the name of the party that that was that government, and there had been a movement to secularize. Uh, education under that Republican government. So you don't have religious Catholic schools, you now have uh, lay schools, secular schools. Well, this is new and this is different and this is therefore bad. And so under the white terror, you have school teachers being executed because, uh, you know, they they represented that aspect of of the other side that the nationalists were were fighting against. Uh, so so this is you know this is a pretty black chapter in Spain's history. You have just a bloodletting on both sides, um, and and you have the Russians on the one side propping up the the left wing revolutionaries. You have the the, the Germany or the the Nazis on the other side propping up the the right wing nationalists, and you have uh, you know the poor Spanish populace caught in the middle, uh, just being, being hammered. And it was, it, yeah, it was, it was just years of bloodletting until Franco won. And, and I believe that, uh, concluded in, in early 1939. Yeah. April, 1939. So that was the big war in Europe for most of the 1930s, right up until the end when it got way worse. Um, but before we get into that, the other war that I want to talk about, the, the, the second to the last one, is the Sino-Japanese War, or Second Sino-Japanese War, I believe. So Tim talked a little bit about some of the political climate in China in the 1930s, and China was not actually China uh for for much of that time as a nation it was a bunch of warlords running around fighting killing each other uh it, it, there was finally some unification under different uh you know a, a warlord stronger than the others and and finally by the Kaomintang. Uh, i probably said that wrong i'm sorry um but but at the time you know all through the 1930s you have other governments putting military forces in China to secure their interests or whatever, especially along railroads. And you have Japan in particular dumping thousands of troops into China. And 
there's a number of things that have happened here. Tensions between China and Japan have have been elevated for some time throughout the 1930s, going all the way back to 1931, when the Japanese invade Manchuria and, and install kind of a puppet government there. Um, the, the Japanese are looking at, did I say the Chinese invade Manchuria? The Japanese invade Manchuria. Uh, the, the Japanese are looking at these, this area for expansion because it's, it's massively mineral-rich, a uh, lot of options for trade, which is important because of that stupid Great Depression that we talked about. And a lot of the tariffs that are put in place because of that really limited trade options for a lot of the world. And so the Japanese are now looking west at, at all that big chunk of land there. And they see disorganization, they see uh, fractures, and they see floods, <laughs> among other things. Um, but in 1937, you have, uh, you have things really, really going bad. Um, interestingly, the, the PRC, the, the current uh, government of China, has recently re- kind of revised the way that they see the this war as starting. It used to be termed the eight-year war, starting 1937 and going to 1935. Well, they've recently decided that it is now the 14-year war, and it should go back to 1931 when the Japanese invaded Manchuria and took it over. Um, but in 1937, you had kind of... The, between 1931 to 1937, you had tension. You had occasional firefights, but everything eventually calmed down. In 1937, you had a firefight, and it didn't calm down. It got bad. And it started with a Japanese private who um, went missing, uh, just went AWOL. Don't know what he was doing. Probably got drunk somewhere. Um, but he wandered off after a firefight, and the Japanese commanders sent a message to the nearby Chinese town demanding the right to search the town for this private. The Chinese authorities in the town flatly refused. And so the Chinese military, I'm sorry, the Japanese military units in the area encircled that town in preparation for an attack. Meanwhile, private, what's his name, wanders back into camp and is accounted for. But things have already been set in motion. Um, The forces are in place, tensions are high, shots are fired. And you have the kickoff of the war. And it, it goes very poorly for the Chinese. Um, the Japanese forces move through uh, large parts of China, culminating in them taking Nanking. And here you have uh, an, an event that unfortunately gets too little remembrance in the human consciousness. It's uh, often referred to as the rape of Nanking, but it was the systematic uh, and and barbarous killing and raping and other horrific acts on the inhabitants of the Nanking province by the occupying Japanese armies. It is something that the Japanese do not officially want to acknowledge as them having done it is a great shame 
it is something that the Chinese do not want to ever forget because it was a great wound. Uh, it is it is a horrific chapter in humanity as a whole, and I don't want to go into too much of it because it's really bad. Uh, but when you look at what happened and you consider that other humans did this, uh, motivated by a lust for power and I don't know what, uh, but but it makes your heart hurt, and, and it's it's somewhere that we just never want to go again. And 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 that was that. From there on, you had the the Chinese government continuing to to wage a war of resistance against the Japanese and the Japanese holding their gains in China. Um, in 1939, you had a unit of American volunteers, and these guys get all the press, uh, but an, a unit of American volunteers went over to China to help support the Chinese national government against the Japanese. Um, it was a fighter, uh, a military air force fighter unit, uh, and they became known as the Flying Tigers. And they were, they've kind of entered into uh, the status of an American legend, if you will. Uh, they they flew planes with shark mouths painted on them, and that was awesome. Recently declassified that they were not American volunteer mercenaries. They were American Army Air Force pilots being paid by the Army Air Force fighting in China against the Japanese. Um, they, they did not enter combat action until later in December of 1941, uh, which happened to be some days after Pearl Harbor was attacked. Um, but you had that that group over there, among others, who were fighting on, on the different sides. Uh, but World War II, um, you know, we, we talk about that starting with Germany's attack on Poland. And yes, that was the event that triggered the European nations and uh, to jump into it. And then in 41, you had the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, and that's what brought the United States into it. But this conflict, the, the Sino-Japanese War, could be considered and, and probably should be considered as, as part of that World War II setting, uh, because it definitely was. It was Japan looking to expand their sphere of influence and their power and succeeding uh, for for a large uh, portion of the the early war years, and and taking those possessions and or, or taking that area of influence in China. Um, we'll move back over to Europe and, and we'll talk about the start of World War II. Uh, last major event for the 30s, uh, 1939 in September, Nazi Germany attacks Poland. Um, this, there had been a number of precursors set up here. Germany engaged in a couple false flag operations where basically you have Germans dressed up as Poles or militia or terrorists, I don't know, running around and doing things, blowing up stuff. And Germany then uses this as a pretext to invade Poland because nobody wants to be the bad guy and just invade for the sake of invading. You always want to have a pretext. Uh, and, and kind of missed it, but 1931, when the Japanese invaded Manchuria, that started with a false flag incident. An army, a Japanese army lieutenant, set off essentially a bunch of firecrackers 
next to a rail line in China. The Japanese then use that as an excuse to say, hey, your security is weak. You're endangering our stuff. We're moving an army in here. And so they did. More or less the same thing has happened here now with Poland. And using a new term of form of warfare called Blitzkrieg, which is where you just go fast and hard. You keep them off guard. You don't give them a chance to organize or, or even call up their forces just before they can react. You're already there and you're pointing guns at them or you've shot them or you've dive bombed them. Uh, Germany did all of those things. They just swept into Poland and took it down. And the Poles put up a remarkably valiant resistance, but were completely overwhelmed by Germany coming in on the one side and then the Soviets coming in on the other side. Uh, at the same time, Germany does this, uh, you know, Britain, the UK issues an ultimatum. Hey, stop, get out. You're violating all the treaties that we said you had to abide by. Germany says no. And then Britain and France both declare war on Germany in near the end of 1939. At the same time, the Soviet Union looks at those some of those Balkan, you know, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Finland, and basically says the security situation is so bad here that we all need to sign mutual defense agreements, wherein we will graciously station a large wad of Soviet troops in your territories to protect you. Sign here. Uh, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia look at that and go, okay, I guess it's the end for us. And they sign, and it's the end for them. Finland looks at that and says, no. And the the Soviet Union basically says, well, we're going to station troops in your territory anyway. The Soviet Union is kicked out of the League of Nations for this, uh, much like Japan had been booted out of the League of Nations for their operations in China. But they don't care. The League of Nations was so weak and ineffective at the time that it might as well, I mean, it was just a figurehead. And so you you have the Soviets now massing a, a large army to invade Finland, and they do invade Finland, and they pre promptly get shot to pieces. Uh, turns out the one thing worse than invading the Soviet Union during the winter is invading Finland during the winter, if you are the Soviet Union. Um, they roll in with with thousands of men, tanks, just a ridiculous mass, and the Finns just chew them up. Um, eventually, the Finns concede a little bit. They, they give up minimal territorial uh, concessions uh, just because the numbers game is so far against them. But they inflict such damage on the Soviet war machine um, it, it just an outsize uh, resistance put up by this group of Finns who promptly become the darlings of the world uh, for for standing against uh, you know the sweeping red tide coming in from the Soviet Union. Um, but I'm cheating a little bit. That kind of wraps up in 1940, and we're supposed to be focused on the 30s. Uh, but that is where we will leave it. The Germans, uh, the, the Nazis are now in control of Poland. They are starting to look around them toward the rest of Europe. Uh, the Soviets are, are now forcing themselves on Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, and are, are getting ready to charge into Finland and, and starting that operation. 
which goes disastrously bad. Uh, and the United States is, is kind of looking at this and not overtly doing anything yet. Uh, and, but that's where we will leave the world at, at the end of 1939 before we get into the 1940s. All right. Thanks, Matt. A lot of uh, good, well, not good information, but information that is, um, uh, yeah, poignant. Intent. It's, it's important to remember this kind of thing. Um, yeah. you, you know, it's, it, it's important to, one, not let yourself be destroyed by this. You don't need to go into a depression about what humanity has done, but it's important to keep this in our human consciousness these things happened they were real they are the dangers that you get from different well when when people want things badly enough that nothing else matters be it power be it an identity be it a superiority be it whatever uh these types of things can happen and it's important to remember that yeah, for sure. And uh, leaving people obviously on a cliffhanger this time, like we did in the 1920s. Hopefully, we'll do the next podcast in the 1940s um, more uh, timely, um, in a more timely fashion. But uh, yeah, we'll leave you with uh, Germany controlling part of Europe. And uh, with that, we invite you. Oh, I was going to do a quick recap of um, so our listener base is uh, growing in India. Uh, and the United States, obviously, we're doing uh, pretty much across all 50 states now. So, uh, Canada, you need to step up your game. It's been very depressing. Um, anyway, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back again soon. Until then, uh, listen to our other podcasts and, and let us know what you think. Thanks. Thanks.